Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Uh, last hour, so that's the first time I've said that this Christmas season. Merry Christmas. It's great to see you all today. Um, I am so excited about what was just shared regarding our Thanksgiving offering. Over $41,000 going to the Mangala people. Uh, I remember a couple years ago with Chris and Pastor Matthews, we were evaluating some different potential opportunities for us to partner. Um, A few different people groups around the world that were unreached and seeing from those conversations now as Pastor Matthew shared and Chris reiterated that there are over a thousand people that have trusted Christ that didn't before. This is amazing. So thank you for your generosity. Let's celebrate how we're able to partner. And I think it's a good reminder, too, of what we do week in and week out. When you give to New Hope Church, uh, it's not just what you see in front of you here. It is a team and ministries that are resourced to reach people around the world. Maybe it's more vivid in uh, India among an unreached people group like the Mangala, but uh, there are things happening here in our church family and in our community, and your generosity helps make that possible. So um, let me pray for us as we prepare to open God's word together. God in heaven, we, pray, we praise you today for the opportunity uh, in this moment to seek you and in this Christmas season to lean in to you, Emmanuel, Lord Jesus, as you came to this earth, took on flesh, and made a way for us to see and know and live uh, in relationship with God eternal. Today we come before you, and as we open your word, today we pray, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us see and understand. Help us believe and live what we see there. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is two weeks away. Are you ready? Some of you, yes. There is so much to prepare for Christmas. So much goes into it. There are decorations Some of you started that months ago. Others maybe just picked up a tree on clearance this last week. There are presents to shop for, presents to wrap. Last night, my wife was busy wrapping presents after the kids went to bed, and uh, she asked me, I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, if I had started shopping for her yet, because I'm notorious for maybe waiting till a little bit later in the Christmas season. I probably said, yes, I'm done. I got all your presents to go. Uh, There's food to prepare, Christmas cookies, plans to make, travel arrangements perhaps. Uh, important question, what Christmas service are you going to go to at church? This year that's actually has an asterisk next to it because it's unique. Christmas Eve falls on a Saturday, which means Christmas Day is on a Sunday. And here at New Hope Church we have three identical Christmas services. So you've got to decide, am I going to go Saturday to one of the afternoon services or Sunday morning? There are school Christmas programs. There are work parties. And all of these are a part of the preparation for Christmas. But each of those things have to do with the festivities. A more important question is spiritually, how do we prepare for Christmas? Not just how do we prepare for the festivities of Christmas. How do we prepare our hearts for Christ himself for his coming. Last weekend, Pastor Matthew concluded an eight-week series in the book of Malachi. And if you were with us, you heard the the final two verses in Malachi. In Malachi chapter 4, the last two verses are actually the launching point for the Christmas story in Luke's gospel account. 
So Luke chapter 1, the very beginning of the story, is centered around a quote of Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and a fulfillment of that. That's what we're going to be looking at here today. Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I was talking to Pastor Matthew about this just a few days ago, about this message. And I said to him, I said, you know, Pastor Matthew, you do realize that you had me preach on this same passage two years ago in December, right? And he kind of smiled at me. He said, yeah, it's kind of how it goes with the Christmas stories, right? Well, I have typically focused on Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's what we see predominantly in the first part of Luke chapter 1 because it's a story that uh, I identify with deeply, uh, personally, and I'll share just briefly about why in a moment. But today we're going to look at a different aspect of this account, and it's specifically in verses 16 and 17. These two verses are a prophecy that's spoken by an angel, spoken of a baby who would be born, whose name would be John. And this baby was sent before the Lord Jesus to prepare the way. Luke chapter 1, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open there. Turn there, we'll be in the middle part of, of that chapter. Now here's, here's the backdrop. The backdrop in Luke chapter 1 is it is a couple who take center stage. A couple, a priest whose name was Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth who was barren. It's a story that centers around years of unanswered prayer and unfulfilled longing. A longing for a child and this story is a powerful story of their waiting and trusting. And in their old age, God appears through an angel to Zechariah the priest and pronounces to him the miraculous birth of their son. The angel says to Zechariah in verse 13, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. This is the pronouncement. As a part of that pronouncement, the angel goes on to speak a prophecy over this child, the destiny that he would fulfill. And we're going to focus in on Two verses of that today. So Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Here's what the angel proclaims. The angel says, And he, speaking of the baby John, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I want you to notice with me a couple important things right off the bat in this passage. The, the first one is the last three words in verse 17. A people prepared. A people prepared. This was John's calling. His, his purpose was to prepare people for the coming of the Lord Jesus. A people prepared. And then secondly, in verse 17, it says, And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. That might be a little bit obscure at first glance because of several pronouns, right? He and him. The he is referring to John and him is referring to Jesus, the Messiah. So what the angel is saying is that John will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah. 
Elijah, as Pastor Matthew described for us last week, his ministry is found primarily in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And as a prophet, he called God's people, the nation of Israel, to repentance. We're told that John would come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah and would go before the Messiah to prepare the way, to make ready a people for his coming. So why start a Christmas series with this passage? It seems like maybe just an obscure footnote in a broader account from an angel. And the story as a whole, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth is, at least in most people's recollection, more of a minor story in the context of the Christmas story and in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we find four gospels, four gospel accounts that are written, in a sense, as biographies of Jesus' life. Four books that were written to tell the story of Jesus' life and his ministry. And each of them is written from four different vantage points, right? Four different authors who wrote from a culture, writing to some of them very distinct audiences. And so among these four gospel accounts that we have, there are some similarities, things that are emphasized together, and there are also some distinctives, some differences between them. But all four Gospels start the ministry of Jesus by telling the story of John the Baptist. All four of them, a couple of them, in fact, don't even record the Christmas story. They just begin with John the Baptist and then Jesus coming on the scene as an adult. So John the Baptist is, in the gospel writer's view, important. He's important. John was sent to prepare the way to make ready a people for the coming of the Lord. So today, we're going to look at this prophecy, verses 16 and 17. We're going to look at uh, as a lens. So a a lens where we'll, we'll peer kind of through this prophecy to see how John prepares people for the Lord's coming. And for us then, this Christmas, looking through this prophecy, answering the question, how can we be prepared to celebrate the birth, the coming of Jesus? How can we be a people prepared? So let's get to work. Verses 16 and 17, there is a key word. The key word is turn. Turn. We see this word in both verse 16 and in verse 17. It's there two times, but it's actually applied or inferred, it's put into action three times in these verses. Turn. It's an interesting word, a powerful word in the Greek, in the original languages. It's epistrepho. And it refers to conversion. A change of course or a change of mind from something to another thing. You might be thinking of the word repentance. It's not that, though it's very similar. This word is more about a shift, a shift in thinking. So two things come to mind uh, in, in our home. We've had a couple shifts. So one, we just recently this fall shifted from propane to natural gas. We've had a big propane tank in our backyard. That's how our furnace ran 
It's how our natural gas, or it's how our, our water heater ran. It, it's what our house was resourced by. Now we have natural gas. Gas line got dug in and run. And so to make that conversion, a couple parts had to be changed in our furnace. Had to put in a new water heater to convert us from propane to natural gas. This was a shift. It was a, a turn. Uh, several years ago, we made the conversion from being a sedan family to being a minivan family. Where are my minivan drivers? Let me see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and none of us are doing that because we love minivans personally. It's because they're practical, right? You hit a life stage for us as we had several kids. It was more practical to have a van than a car. So we converted from being a sedan family to being a minivan family. There was a shift. So think of John's ministry. He's going to show up on the scene. And the angel says that when John shows up and he steps forward into space and time, that there are going to be three different shifts that come as a result of his ministry. This is John's call and his charge. And we see these three shifts prophesied of John in verses 16 and 17. There are three changes of direction. And we're going to look at each of these and see how living out each of these turns, each of these shifts will help make us a people prepared this Christmas season. So the first turn, the first turn is a turn to the Lord Jesus. This is right at the beginning of verse 16. The angel proclaims, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. John's purpose was to call people to the Lord Jesus. To turn many of the Jews from the old covenant to believing in Jesus as the Messiah. I mentioned that John the Baptist is recorded in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And interesting, interestingly, all four of the gospel accounts, when they begin John's ministry and describe it, all four of them quote Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which uh, a part of it says, uh, describes this prophet who had come. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This was the prophecy that John came to fulfill. An expectation that a prophet would come who would go before the Messiah to prepare the way. And as we'll see next weekend when we look at John chapter 1, when John in his ministry as an adult sees Jesus for the first time, John declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's purpose was to call people to the Lord Jesus, to turn many of the Jews to believe in the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Later in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the same word that we have here in Luke 1 for turn, this shift, this conversion that's taking place through John's ministry, this same word and actually the same description of what's happening is recorded for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, when Paul describes how some of the early church viewed what they witnessed in the church in this city of Thessalonica. Here's what is written for us. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And then listen to this. And how you turned to God 
from idols to serve the true and living God. This is the shift or a conversion. It's a shift from idols to the Lord. And it's spoken here of this early church, how they turned away from following their idols and instead turned to, they shifted to believe in the Lord Jesus. This is what happened in Elijah's ministry when the children of Israel who were surrounded by pagan gods and and idols, Elijah called them to turn from those things and to follow the Lord God. It's a turn to the Lord. Our idols today look very different than the first century in Thessalonica or in the day that Elijah spoke. Our idols are the things that we turn to, that we perhaps find worth in. It might be our our home or our career. Could even be our our kids, our self-image, our accomplishments, our our possessions. The truth is that we demonstrate what we worship with a thousand small choices every week. What we worship is demonstrated with these small choices day in and day out. If we worship idols or if the Lord Jesus truly is first and foremost in our hearts and lives, In fact, the Christmas season in and of itself can be, dare I say, an idol, a distraction. Last night, we took our kids, this has become a tradition, we took our kids to the Fisher's light display over in in Plymouth. And our kids love seeing, you know, it's the choreographed lights and things all over, tune your radio to 103.3, and it's all in sync. And there on one of their fence lines, in script with Christmas lights, said a a bold reminder, said, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. So literally, in the midst of the decor and the songs and parades of cars that cycled down their street was a reminder to remember Jesus. This is John's calling, to turn to the Lord Jesus first, to love him first, to love him above all, to love him with your all. This is the first shift that John would bring about. It's the first shift for us as we seek to prepare for the Christmas season, a turn to the Lord Jesus. The second turn we see uh, is in verse 17. It's a turn toward one another in love. Look carefully with me at verse 17. The angel proclaims that John will go before the Messiah, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This shift is in the hearts of the fathers being turned toward their children. It's a picture of moving from callous hearts toward restored relationships. It's uniting, and this restoration in the relationships plays out within the closest community, fathers and children. Now, scholars speculate on the interpretation of this. If it's just quite literally dads and their kids, if it's speaking of the fathers in the Jewish tribes, 
or if it's more broad than that. I think uh, there's some, some export of this, and we, we get clues to this by what John says in his ministry. As we see in John's ministry, this powerful turn of hearts being directed in love to bring about restored relationship, we see this express itself beyond the family in John's ministry. So if you flip ahead just a couple pages, if you're in Luke 1, flip ahead to Luke chapter 3, and there we find Luke's account of John's earthly ministry. And in the midst of this account, I want to read just a couple verses starting down in verse 10. He describes a few things, records for us what John preached. So verse 10, there's a couple questions posed of John. First, the crowds asked John, what then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. A second question. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Here's the third question. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. John is calling for a posture of generosity and fairness and love to be demonstrated toward all. Whether you're in the crowd, a soldier, a tax collector, to all. In 1 John chapter 3, the apostle John poses a question. He says, how can we say that we love God if we do not love our neighbor? How can we claim to have the love of God in us if we do not have a love for one another? John's call And an expression of the transformation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ is restored relationships. It's a love for one another. So this turn is a turn from a callous heart to a heart that would be postured in love toward others. Now Christmas is a time when the brokenness in relationships and Families in particular often is exposed. For many, the holidays can be a very painful time. Sometimes that's because of the loss of a loved one through death or sickness. But for many, the pain is because of the reality of the fractures, the chasms that exist relationally between those that we ought to love. Look again at verse 17. The way that this change, that this turn is brought about is from the heart. Verse 17 says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Turn the hearts. This is where restored relationships start. Our callous hearts turning toward one another in love, extending forgiveness and grace instead of holding on to resentment and retaliation. 
So perhaps, perhaps part of what God wants to do in, in your life this Christmas season is a fulfillment of this aspect of verse 17. That, that the places and relationships where brokenness exists in your life, that instead, hearts would be turned toward one another in love and restoration. So pause for a moment. In what relationship do you need restoration? Who is the person or who is the group of people to whom you need to be restored? And what might it look like for you to turn toward them with a heart of love? This is part of how we prepare to celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus. Well, the third turn, back to Luke chapter 1, the third turn that we see is a turn to God's ways. This one you've got to look uh, and do a little bit more de- deciphering to see it. So in verse 17, it says uh, that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, right? And then that same verb, to turn, is applied then to another prophecy. And he will turn... The disobedient, the end of verse 17, he will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Now, we all know what disobedience is, right? Especially if you've got young kids. So last night, I mentioned we went to the the Fisher's light display. Well, before that, we had a lovely Perkins dinner as a family. Yesterday was uh, our oldest son, Caleb's uh, adoption day. It's the anniversary of his court hearing, so we call it his gotcha day, and he picked to go to Perkins. So we had sprinkled pancakes all around, and then he wanted to go look at lights. So we had a lovely Perkins dinner, and then went to the Fishers to see the light display. We left the light display, turned the van toward home, right? And when we got home, the wheels fell off. All around, all three kids, we had tears from Four people in our home, right? Three kids, four people. Disobedience on full display. I know some of you are thinking like, yeah, sprinkle pancakes, right? Are you new? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Now for adults, disobedience is maybe a little bit more sophisticated and well, at least more masqueraded, right? But if we're honest, we know. God has given us a conscience to know right from wrong. Well, John says, or the, the angel says of John that he will turn people, turn the disobedient, what? To the wisdom of the just. That's kind of a unique phrase, to the wisdom of the just. Now, the word just, uh, Luke uses it 11 times in his gospel account, and all 11 times it has to do with one's standing before God. And he says here that he'll turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Now, what's wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge demonstrated or knowledge applied. So he's saying it's the demonstration 
of those who are in right standing with God. So the way that I summarize that is he's turning, he will turn people from disobedience to God's righteous ways. A turn to God's ways. This is what John will bring about. In Mark chapter 1, as Mark records John's ministry, it's right at the beginning of his gospel. Mark and John don't actually tell the formal Christmas story. John implies it at the very beginning of chapter 1. Mark begins, and it's John the Baptist as an adult, and then Jesus being baptized. No Christmas story. And so Mark's gospel says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it's written the prophet Isaiah, and boom, there it is, Isaiah 40, verse 3, as I mentioned. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make, path, make his path straight. Then, verse 4, he records for us, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is John demonstrating this. People turning from their disobedience, turning from their sins and turning toward God's ways. Several times uh, in the Gospels, there are parallel accounts. John goes on to say uh, in Mark and then in Luke chapter 3, he calls for people to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So not just confessing your sins, but then letting your life demonstrate through its fruit an expression of that repentance. So turning from our disobedience and turning instead to walking in God's ways. In our day, there is so much subjectivity and relativism. Many people live with the notion of, you do what's right for you, I will do what's right for me. And maybe, in many cases, we'll agree to live in harmony and love for one another, but let one another just subjectively determine what's right for each of us and live that way. Live and let live. Do what's right in our own eyes where the standard is completely subjective. But there is a standard. There is a standard. This is part of the calling that John had to establish and to uphold. A standard that comes from God's word. So we turn from our disobedience and turn to the wisdom of the just, to God's righteous ways and live in obedience to them. Now, if you would look back with me at the beginning of verse 16. At the beginning of verse 16, as the angel proclaims this of John, the angel says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will turn many. I want you to catch that word, many. There are two sides to it. On one hand, we see that and we can think, wow, many, many women and men and children, many families would come to know and follow the Lord Jesus through John's ministry. Many Jews would come to trust. We can think of the Christians throughout the centuries, throughout the ages, perhaps even some of you 
Each of us with loved ones who are now with the Lord, we can think of them. They're a part of the many who would be an expression of the fulfillment of this. We think of the Mangala people in India, among whom there were no believers a couple years ago, and now there are over a thousand. They're a part of, of the many. Many also is not all. In John's ministry, many would come to believe in the Lord Jesus, but not all. Some would resist. Some would actually accept, but then turn away. Others would boldly and callously reject. John himself actually would lose his life. He would be beheaded at the hands of a pagan king whose wife was vehemently opposed to John and his ministry. So many would turn, but not all. Some would resist and reject. Are you part of the many? Are you part of the many who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus? Perhaps you're unsure. Maybe you're skeptical or even, even opposed. If you're here right now today in this room, you're here in this moment, you're joining us online. You're not here by accident. Don't squander this moment. God is calling you today to turn, to turn to him, to believe in him, to trust in him. The song we sang as we began our gathering this morning, from joy to the world, says, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart, may that be true of each of us here today, that every heart would prepare him room. That we would turn to the Lord Jesus. That our lives would emanate with the worship of him. That we would turn toward one another in love. That our hard and callous and resentful hearts would instead be turned toward love and that we would turn from our disobedience, from our own sinful ways and be turned to God's righteous ways. This is a people prepared. The people prepared that this angel proclaimed through John's ministry and through each of us as we live, out, live it out would become a reality. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, as we celebrate this Christmas season, we anticipate your coming, your birth that would mark the dawning of hope and restoration for all of mankind. And today, Lord, we want to be a people prepared. 
a people that would lean toward you, whose hearts would be turned away from our selfishness and sin and our idols and would be turned toward you. I pray right now that the things that keep us from you, the sin that so easily entangles us, the idols that clamor for our affection, I pray that those things would be cast aside our doubts, our hesitations, our own failures, and that instead, Lord Jesus, you'd find in us a people that would be turning to you and running to you without hesitation. Holy Spirit, make us a people that are prepared, that seek you with our whole heart. We pray this in your name. Amen.